This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Thrive Market, a revolutionary online marketplace with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. Get an additional 25% off your first order plus a 30-day free trial by visiting thrivemarket.com/nomadathlete. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington D.C. and you're listening to Nomad Athlete Radio. Doug, I'm guessing you are not a baseball card collector. You didn't. You skipped that hobby as a kid. <laughs> that is true, but it, I do have a funny, somewhat related story to that. <laughs> do you? <laughs> yeah. so we both have baseball card stories today? <laughs> we both have baseball card stories from the past week. Okay. I know you're a baseball fan because you've done a little bit of the, uh, the DraftKings with me. Yep. And I'm definitely a baseball fan. Just didn't get into collecting it. Well, I mean, I had some, you know, from when I was very little. And I, oddly enough, Katie had... Uh, some as well and somehow they made the KonMari clean out made it into (laughs) I think I think Katie thought she was going to give them to her brother who definitely collects baseball cards still collects baseball cards Um, and but the other day I walked into the living room and Eliza was like had pulled them all out and she was like playing with all of them (laughs) looking at the different people (laughs) that's good for the cards yeah what's your story my story is that uh my buddy, we call him we call him T Rock. His name is Chris Roth, but he's been my friend since high school, and uh, just just a good friend. He always comes on this golf trip that I go on. Mm-hmm. He, this is kind of old news. This happened uh, I don't know three four weeks ago now, but I just keep forgetting to mention it. <laughs> he uh, so he participates in these in these I don't know. He's a weird. He just collects all kinds of random things and just gets becomes an expert in all these different things. So it just interesting guy, and he uh, somehow gets in these baseball card. I don't even know what you call them, pack openings, I guess. And so he he put up $35 for a satellite opening or a satellite draw or something. And so like a like a poker tournament, when you, you enter a small amount where the prize for that tournament might be the an entry into the World Series of Poker or something else that will, you know, another step towards that, um, he entered this drawing. And the prize of the $35, if you won this $35 thing, is uh, entry into a big pack opening of a 1955 Bowman set. So there's some business now that opens baseball card packs on on YouTube or just on some sort of video channel live, and you get a certain card in that pack. Like, you know what number your card's going to be. So he won this. (laughs) Wait, what? They just just open the pack, and then you just get one of the cards? Yeah, like like his... So he he won first place in this in this drawing this whatever satellite drawing Uh and so he won card number 19 in this upcoming pack opening okay so the guy so the guy opens the cards online and and you know video so everyone can see that it's legit and it's it's i think it's actually a big company behind this now and uh so he has 13 so or sorry he he got 19 and i think it was a 500 dollars if you wanted to just pay to get a, a spot in this okay so he card number 19 comes along and it's the gem of the set the mickey mantle card from there that is worth like fifty thousand dollars so someone what that very day so the next day there was an article on espn.com on the front page from about him and about this pack opening thing uh he's been in the baltimore sun all these other he did a bunch of press up in new york and boston now trying to i guess to sell the card um because it turned out it so sorry i'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) um yeah, so but that very day he got an offer for it for fifty thousand dollars that he turned down, and then went on this little 
press tour. And I, I don't know what the plan is now, but the, the most recent article that I saw about it said that he was going to lend it to the Baseball Hall of Fame for some amount of time. So I don't know if he's hanging on to it or if he's selling it or what. But, what? Um, yeah, That's so he crazy. thought, I guess he, somehow he thought, baseball cards are all about uh, condition now and like getting getting uh, certified in their condition, I mean, at least for expensive cards, mm-hmm. and uh, which is way different from when we were kids when they were just like, you know, you'd eyeball it and say, well, that's near mint, and then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. knock off 10% of the... That only the, has like, one corner of its coin. <laughs> <laughs> but so these are, uh, you know, they're, they're graded now by some company, and this one turned out to be a 9 out of 10. I guess when he first saw it, he thought it was going to be a 3 or something, but the... Even though the, it was from a brand new pack? Yeah, so I don't know what, what kind of degradation happens, but apparently this one, you know, was, yeah. was away, so there wasn't any light uh, damage that happened. And the card got a 9 out of 10, which was like the first time in, in decades that they've gotten this card uh, that high of a value. So it just turned out to be this really big deal. And uh, I don't know, quite an interesting... And, and of course, it happened to this to this guy, T-Rock, who just... who just All that stuff always happens to. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. That's it is really, wild. That's really crazy. Yeah. I like I didn't even... I, you know, honestly, like, I had no idea that baseball cards were still worth anywhere near that. I think they, well, they definitely tanked for a while. Like in right. the, I don't know, 10 years ago, I remember looking up, I got a hold of some kind of price guide or something, and all my good cards, my Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck rookie card, <laughs> that was no longer worth $120, it was now worth like 40 or something. Mm-hmm. So they all kind of tanked. I think I think what happened was that we all collected cards thinking, you know, look how valuable all those 1950s cards are. That's how these 1980s and 90s cards are going to be in, in 20, 30 years. Yeah. But then the reason all those old cards were valuable is because nobody was collecting them like this. They were putting them in bike spokes and, and you know, <laughs> throwing them and playing games with them and stuff. Right. So I think there was not really much scarcity once everyone started collecting them. But now it seems like the rarest of the rare have gone way up in value. Like when we were kids, no cards were worth, I mean, maybe one or two, the, the Hannes Wagner and one other Mickey Mantle card, but not this one. Um, were worth you know more than ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars. So I think the I think the very best ones have actually appreciated in value and have become more like I don't know almost more like artwork kind of stuff. Huh, that's that's crazy. I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's interesting. So anyway, yeah. fun stuff. Good for T Rock. Uh, another card swapping story here while we're on it. <laughs> um, I uh, so I watch there's there's semi professional disc golf coverage for the like traveling tour, mm-hmm. and uh, if course. I if I have some free time when Katie is out with some friends or whatever, sometimes I'll watch it. And um, <laughs> they ran an ad for trading cards for this year's top players, and oh <laughs> I just I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Who's gonna buy that? <laughs> like, why would you spend your money on that? Oh my god. Yeah, but, I mean, people don't even, wouldn't even buy hockey cards back in the day. No, and that was the that was the fourth biggest sport. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there must be somebody out there. There must oh be some market for it. But who's gonna uh, buy that? I don't know. I don't know. You know if you're next? a listener and you buy you buy disc golf trading cards, I really want to talk to you. You know, what we should make Doug what? esports trading cards. Esports trading cards. Yes. Uh, man, esports was in the news this week. For yeah, I know. Was that? I was going to bring that up, and then I said, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Too was... bad. Esports. Sorry to hear that. But that's, I mean, more uh, proof that it is a legit thing that is happening. It, is it a- was, uh, it was, I mean, uh, for all the wrong reasons, of course, but it was nice to 
or that, that was maybe the first time I had ever heard it on mm-hmm. on the news. Yeah. Heard about it. Yes. All right. Anyway, well, anything else? That. I'm thinking about this hundred milers, though, dog. That's kind of happening. Oh, it's it's well, it's moving along. With how talking, so? What talking, uh, what's just, the progress on that? Talking to friends, I was assigned to narrowing the options down to three races, so I did a bunch of research and uh-huh. picked. We've narrowed it down to two, maybe, may, maybe three. But are you willing to say and uh, say what they are? No, here? not yet, because because we're really looking far. I want Pete is an accountant, and he uh, his busy season tax accountant. His busy season is through April, so we really he couldn't really begin training, or could barely be training by you know April next year. So it it would be late next year for sure. So that's okay. why I don't want to. It's just it's just so far in advance that I don't even know. Next but what's good about it being far now? Yes, over a year from now. Over what's good about that though for me? I mean, I haven't I haven't really run in five years, like really trained for anything. I've I've gone on little kicks where I'll go for a month or two, and I I did a few, I don't know, I did a few things where I ran maybe fifty miles in a week, but not not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good that it's so far off because I I think I need to train for a marathon first and just kind of get back to training before I, you know dive into 100 mile training well this is this is just i mean it makes my heart flutter that <laughs> that's it yeah good <laughs> glad to hear that it uh i'm i'm really excited for this and yeah. if, you're looking, if you're looking for some crew i'm happy to to go out well there. good i'm sure we i'm sure we can use that that's really good <laughs> and i appreciate that um yeah i'll have more questions to ask you actually about the course and, and helping to pick one but i mean we don't even need to choose it right as long as we know it's the end of next year we have months until we would need to even say this is the one we're doing that is true for the most part they're getting harder and harder to get into these days yeah i don't i don't think these are just okay. based on what i looked at but i do think i i that occurred to me yesterday that i didn't really need to pick one and i was like well, it was almost like a letdown like if i don't pick one now yeah. then there's not that get commitment associated it. with sure. it yeah yeah, yeah. you easy. should pick one I, I would you're the kind of guy who needs to pick one yeah i think that's true anyway there's no um, harm in picking one you know yeah, that's true. There's no harm in picking one. Except that then it feels like we're actually doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it's much easier to talk about it than it actually sure is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're doing something different today. Different in the sense that we haven't done it in a long time. But we used to do Q&A episodes fairly frequently. And I guess the fact that we haven't done one in a while means we've been pretty good about coming up with new topics. Because they used to be what we did if we didn't have a topic idea. A little inside <laughs> baseball for everybody listening. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, this one wasn't really that. We just said, haven't done one of these in a while. This would be good. So we're going to dive into some questions. They, it seems like it's a nutrition theme this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really not really on purpose. It just seems like that was the good questions were nutrition ones. So, so I'll just go ahead and check do. out of this episode. You can see it from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of them are, are running nutrition. So you, you have uh, a big role to play here. Okay. With that. Uh, all right. Should we should we just dive in? Yeah. Go okay. for it. Good. Okay, so this one is from Jason. He says, Hi, Matt. I've been following you for the last year. My wife is two years vegan, and I'm one year. We're running our first marathon in 18 days. We are novice slash immediate runners as far as races go. 20-plus races each over the last few years and five to six uh, half marathons each. Our training has been good. Slowing down, maintaining pace, practicing nutrition. We are excited and feel pretty good about where we are. Two weeks of tapers to go. The question I have is about pre-race nutrition. We just got our wave assignments, and we are not starting until 11 a.m. We need to be on our bus by 5.30 a.m. All of our training, long training runs have been at 8 a.m. Clearly, the nutrition plan we've trained with didn't take a three-hour delay into the equation. 
I eat half a peanut butter and jelly sandwich two hours before, an untapped coffee maple waffle 45 minutes before, and a goo gel five minutes before. Should I eat something in the 4.30 to 9 a.m. range or just start my nutrition at race time minus two hours? Thanks. Doug, you seem like a guy who would know what an untapped coffee maple waffle is. There are only the most delicious coffee maple <laughs> waffles out there. <laughs> I actually don't know what it is. I've heard of untapped uh, the brand before, but I've never had one of these waffles. Okay. I've heard but of I tap assume out it's like a brand. I don't know. It sounds kind of good, though. Um, <laughs> tap out. Yeah. Why is it called untapped? I don't, I don't get it. Isn't that like a, brew, a beer app or something? No, maple. You tap a maple tree. Okay. Well, it sounds like you don't untap it. You would tap it. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, um, yeah. So they must, this must be a big race. If you're, I was wondering that. It's like it's like a Boston Marathon situation. Yeah, bus at five thirty, arrive at eight. So it must be point to point because you're going to be on the bus for mm-hmm. two and a half hours. I mean, this question very well could have come back in April. Who? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. This might actually be a Boston Marathon situation. <laughs> Uh, in which case, Jason, I hope that you crushed it, man. Yeah, Although, well, first, first marathon, well, I guess you could you can get into Boston with that. Um, I, you know, all right. So, first of all, I would say yeah, you wouldn't, you're not a novice if you've raced right. five to six half marathons and right. 20 plus races. Yeah. So, um, my, my first instinct is to just tell you, like, trust your gut um, and trust, you know, trust the experience that you do have, you know, and knowing how you feel after being awake for that long. I'm, so that's kind of the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is that, um, for me anyway, if I wake up at 5.30, I mean, if I have to be there at 5.30, so you're probably waking up at 4.30 or somewhere around there, by 11 o'clock, you're going to be pretty hungry, right? I would be. Mm-hmm. I would be pretty hungry. Um, and so I would want to eat a fairly substantial something, breakfast of some sort, to kind of tide me over on the early end, since you're going to be awake for... You know, since we were talking about five and a half hours before your race, uh, getting on the bus, you know, I would say pretty early on after getting on the bus, I would have a, I would have a real breakfast because you're going to have time to digest that um, or at least let it settle. Right. Um, yeah. And then, and then take over with the, from there with your, your standard routine. Yeah. I think that's more or less what I think. There, I, mean, I think the two things going on here are, like you said, Doug, you're going to be, you're up earlier. So you actually have more hours in your day before you finish your race not just begin but finish right so if you want to be not starving during your race and i don't know that that's going to affect your performance but just mentally i would want to be not starving during my race um (laughs) you're going to need to eat something else just because it's later in the day right so you you need to eat anyway uh the other thing is i think that if you happen to be awake with a few extra hours uh you know there might be an opportunity there just to get a little bit more food in you uh if you can do that without disrupting the routine but you also do need to, like I said, you you just be too hungry, I think. And if you didn't need anything, and then just started your race time minus two hours routine, it's going to be different than doing that on a normal training day because you will be extra hungry now. So I don't, I just think it it does change it. So I think the thing to do would be find a way to eat something. I would still plan on doing that race time minus two hours routine. I would not change that up. But I would eat whatever you think will hold you over during those initial those first extra three hours. Uh, <laughs> That will just get you so that when you get to that point, race time minus two hours, you feel roughly the same as you do when you when you typically wake up and, and eat before your race. So I don't know what that would be. It might not be a full-on 
big breakfast, but maybe like a bagel or something. Yeah. I don't know. For me, that's what, that's probably what I would do. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to force yourself to eat at 5.30 or 5 because that, to me, that gets messy when you start forcing yourself to eat really, really early, like earlier than you're usually even awake. Uh, I don't know. That, I feel like that has caused me a lot of uh, just stomach stress over the years. Hmm. Yeah, for me, though, it, it's more about like within an hour of waking up, I, I'm hungry and I want to eat something. So if you're waking up at 4.30 and you have a bagel on hand, you know, first soon after you get on the bus you know, that'll be an hour later mm-hmm. and maybe you would eat it then and that would tide you over until the, until nine o'clock. Right. Which would be two hours from your race day or race time. So yeah, that that's kind of my, the strategy I would take. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I agree. Yeah. Not like a full on, like we're not talking about, I don't know, pancakes or something. No, no big, no big biscuit breakfast or anything like that. No. All right. But yeah. All right, good. Moving on. Moving on. This one's from Laura. She says, I'm training for my first half marathon, and I'm loving your helpful hints and nutrition-fueling guidelines. Do you have any post-recovery nutritional hints? I remember reading that you should get in a 4-to-1 carb-to-protein meal right after your workout and before the 45-minute mark. Anything else? Okay, so I don't. if I wrote that, then I was mistaken uh, just a little bit. I have a feeling that I didn't write that, uh, but, you know, maybe Laura read a couple different things from me or other people and, and just is putting it together. Um, so I believe the, the carb protein thing, which I, for the record, don't really follow very closely at all. Uh, I used to pay more attention to it when I was very serious about the Boston qualifying thing. But uh, I believe it is, uh, what is it? I think it's, as far as, it's carbohydrate to protein. It is three to one before the workout slash race, four to one during and five to one after. Right, Doug? I would have said two, three, and four. Okay. Well, what I the one I knew was three, four, five. I was always surprised that you eat more carbohydrates after your race than before. Mm-hmm. It always seemed counterintuitive to me. But uh, anyway, that whichever one of those, and like like I said, it doesn't. It's this is just you know a scientific optimum based on large numbers of people, and for most people, this is best. So I mean, you know, your own thing could could very well be different from this. So I think just being in that neighborhood, in fact, if you just remember four to one all the time or three to one all the time, and mm-hmm. for me, it serves as that kind of reminder. So like if I am right. grabbing a you know two bananas or something after my run, uh, I will think, okay, that's probably about 60 grams of carbohydrates. So I should try to get something like 10 to 15 grams of protein in you know some nuts or whatever. So that that's, that's the extent to which I use that. Uh, but it's a nice reminder that helps you to not only eat carbohydrates, which is sometimes easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says before the 45 minute mark, I think that really depends a whole lot on what's going on. I guess if she's talking specifically about the half marathon, um, it, you know, it, it depends on how long you're going to be out there. Some people don't need to eat at all during the half marathon, but if you do, then it, I don't know. It just depends. Some people advocate like having a little bit of gel every 10 minutes, every 20 minutes or a date. If you prefer a more natural approach to that. I think she's talking about within 45 minutes of finishing the workout. Oh, okay. Before the 40... Okay, I thought she was talking about during it. Um, then that then that actually is much closer to what I actually said. <laughs> so that makes more <laughs> sense now. I thought she was talking about me saying that you should get the same amount during your workout and after. Uh, yeah, so my, my approach is pretty much that. Then right afterwards, <laughs> I try to get... I try to get mostly carbs, a little bit Scratch of protein. everything I just said. 
and then, but I don't think before the 45 minute mark. Usually for, for me, I'll try to get something immediately afterwards. And then when I get hungry an hour or two hours later for a more typical meal, like I try to make that one a healthy one, like beans and rice or, you know, mm-hmm. something substantial and good. Uh, then I make sure to eat that within within an hour, hopefully within two for sure. Yeah. So that's all I really do. Um, yeah, my... Uh, well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, the only thing I was going to say is that I I really... I used to think a lot more about those kinds of things, the guidelines and numbers like that, but I guess this comes from just being uh, eating plant-based for a long time and kind of just changing a lot of the way I look at food and think about food. Uh, I just think so much more than that kind of timing stuff, which, by the way, is is not universally agreed upon. There, there have been... Uh, studies that call into question the whole is this is this post workout window is that even a real thing or does it not matter and I've heard people say that really what matters is what you eat in the twenty four hours after your workout not the thirty minutes after your workout so um, I don't know what which is true I've seen things arguing both but I just tend to think more about what foods are you eating and if you eat foods that are in general anti inflammatory and healthy and not junk food then it's going to be good. So I try very hard during when I'm training for stuff, especially in, in the 24 hours after a hard thing, I try to make sure that I am actually getting really good, fresh, whole foods, uh, turmeric, ginger, tart cherries, spinach. Um, what's another, oh, beet root powder. These are all very good anti-inflammatory foods, but they kind of just come in the context typically of, I mean, if, if you happen to be eating a bunch of raw fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables, you're going to get some of those things and pretty much everything you eat is going to be anti-inflammatory and that's going to help you with recovery. So that's, I'm more, I think of it more that way these days than, than ratios and specific timings. I think that is very solid advice, Matt. Okay. What were you going to say, Doug? Uh, something very similar uh, to your second half. Well, although I, I, in line with the, um, kind of guidelines, I guess. Um, I very rarely think about the ratios of carb to protein, um, and focus more on the healthier foods, something that's going to be nutrition rich and, uh, be good for me. Um, but I do, I, I do tend to eat almost immediately after the run. So within like 10 or 15 minutes, have something, have like a banana or some, some sort of little snack and then, um, and then try to have something more substantial within an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, typically a meal. So if you're coming home from a long run, you've been out all morning, you have a decent lunch ready for you, waiting for you. Smoothies are also great. You can make a smoothie ahead of time um, and have that ready for you right after you get done with your run. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing to think about is hydrating. uh, And I think that's kind of underrated is people come home and they don't think necessarily they need to, they just, you know, they're worried about food or sleep or uh, showering and, and don't drink a bunch of water. So definitely make sure you're hydrating after, before, and of course, after your run to rehydrate, let your muscles get what they need. And then, uh, yeah. And that anti-inflammatory stuff is, is, is good. So foods that have anti-inflammatory, um, what, what, how do you, what do you call it? Properties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, the whole like tart cherry juice thing that, um, kind of craze that everyone was talking about a couple of years ago, people really swear that by that. And I think that there's a lot to that. Um, and you know, if, if you deal with different issues, different injuries and things like that, then, um, having that can, can make a big difference. Yep. Agreed. That is still one of the first things, uh, 
this is a handy trick if you want to seem like you know what you're talking about. When people ask you like about a random running injury, I always say, have you tried taking tart cherry juice like on a daily basis? And they say, oh, no, I haven't heard about that. And then I tell them about it. And then we never get to the fact that I don't actually know how to diagnose their their problem. <laughs> but people I've seem had, to have I mean, I've that. Had, and I think, I've had coaching clients who have like had lingering issues and then start drinking tart cherry after all their um all their long runs and kind of hard workouts and magically things just go away. Yeah. Right. I think it's great. And I think, but I do think you can, it, it's especially helpful if you're not already eating a lot of that stuff, but I do think you can, if you eat a pretty healthy diet or a very healthy diet, I should say, then you, you're probably going to be getting a lot of anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. benefits already. But anyway, tartary is good, I think. And so are the other things I mentioned. You don't need to, you don't need to buy a processed thing. You could just go get turmeric and ginger and, and just eat those two. Mm-hmm. Or add it to a smoothie. Yes. Good. All right. Um, so next one is from Keith, who says, what's your opinion on products like Morningstar, Boca, Beyond Meat? Are they healthy enough to be incorporated into my diet? What are your recommendations and suggestions? So this is, I have uh, something that might be a bit of a surprise, Doug, given my stance on these foods. On Monday, I had fruffalo wings. Have you heard about this? No. <laughs> fruffalo wings? Yeah, it stands for field roast buffalo wings. Is the idea okay? Um, and field roast corn dogs. I had that for dinner on Monday. <laughs> I also corn ate. Dogs? I also ate a cabbage uh, slaw that we made, which was much much oh, healthier well, than the other. Yeah, things. I mean, that, then you're good. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Corn dogs. Yeah, man, they were good. I, I, so I, I have seen Morningstar corn dogs actually. It, for years and thought that'd be great and then i pick up the box and then see that it is not vegan because they morningstar for some reason puts uh like egg whites and egg things into their into uh-huh. their yeah foods which seems like they should be vegan i don't know who's buying them i guess i guess there are vegetarians who seek out that stuff but just don't care about the eggs uh i'm sure there are but i don't i just think get why why not just make it vegan and then you have a, a huge additional market who will buy it but right. maybe it just i'm with you there definitely um but anyway, so Field Roast is now in that game, and they're making vegan corn dogs, little mini corn dogs. Um, they're in the corn dog game. Yes. Frozen. Frozen. Yep. Okay. Twenty minutes in the in the air fryer or any you know the toaster oven will make them good. And the Field Roast, the Fruffalo wings. My friend Pete again. Pete's getting a lot of a lot of uh, play on the podcast these days. I should have him sure. call in sometime. Yeah, we should. We should have a little like uh, you know. A little one-minute Pete segment every, <laughs> yeah. every episode. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he he told me to get these things. We used to at JMU. We used when we went to college. We used to eat these things called thumbs and toes at this place called Biltmore Biltmore Grill. Oh, that's great. And they were they were boneless uh, chicken wings that were I don't even know if they were wings. They were boneless chicken products that had buffalo sauce all over them. Uh-huh. And I have fond memories still of those. So he said these are vegan versions of that, basically. And what it is is Morningstar takes their that apple smoked sausage, which many people have had, and they batter it and toss it in buffalo sauce. Anyway, uh, it was very good. I won't say it was life changing. I think I like making buffalo cauliflower better, uh, hmm. and I think the problem is I just tasted the the sausage too much. The apple, I'm familiar with the taste of that apple sausage, and I just kept tasting that. So, anyway, the buffalo sauce though was delicious, and if you put enough on there, then you didn't even notice that it that it was the apple sausage but anyway um that is that is an exception for me keith i don't 
think that stuff is good at all. As far it's not health food, it is junk food. I don't like when they try to pretend that it isn't. I think it didn't feel Rose want to come on our podcast a while ago, Doug. They did, and we and we shut that down. Right? We said we're not promoting this kind of junk food. And I'd be happy to have them on to talk about their food as a vegan treat, but uh, you know that wouldn't really be of interest. I don't think to our audience. So uh, yeah, I I am against that stuff a lot as far as pretending it is health food, and. I think it's I think it's nice, you know. I had it. I don't know when the last time I had it is before I had it for dinner on Monday, uh, but it's been at least a month since I ate, you know, that stuff. Except perhaps as like a, every now and then when I'm making pasta sauce, I will chop up a few slices of like vegan uh, vegan turkey, or whatever it is, the the tofurkey brand stuff, mm-hmm. which actually is not bad because that's that is tofu and wheat gluten and not not much else. Uh, I like that better than just pure wheat gluten. But anyway, I will. Uh, I'll use it kind of in the way that that I think meat can more healthily be consumed, which is sort of as a condiment rather than as a center of your plate. So I think I think that's a good role for the vegan meats as well. Use them as like a little flavoring agent, or every now and then rare treat at a barbecue or whatever. But mm-hmm. you know, they're they're just they just there's no reason to plan on putting those into your diet. You shouldn't say this is where I'm going to get more protein uh, because they do have a lot of protein in them. But I don't think that's a good thing. So. Don't eat those, Keith. They're they're just they're a, they're a junk food. Eat them the way you would eat ice cream, which is Some to people say, eat ice cream every day. <laughs> yeah, well, they do, but they shouldn't. So if you're gonna do that, at least feel guilty about it. Yeah, yeah, more or less the same uh, answer as you do. I think uh, I'm probably a little bit more flexible with it than you are. We we have those. Um, I think it's the field roast, like apple maple sausage mm-hmm. things links and i eat all those breakfast links yeah we have those sometimes uh on the weekend if we're having like a yeah we'll do we'll do like waffles and those things um and and that's fine right because someone will make waffles on the weekend and and that's a food you wouldn't want to eat every day but it's right. it's a weekend and you just do it one meal out a week and it's fine so yeah. I think I think that is that is a, the place for those things to play. But don't think that they're your protein source and that's how you're keeping right. your protein up or whatever. I mean, every once in a while, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Every once in a while, we probably once a week, maybe maybe not that much. We have like uh, like No Evil Foods, which is a wheat wheat gluten wheat mm-hmm. protein. Yep. Um, kind of plant based meat that uh, we have that you know as part of dinner or something like that, but. Um, you know, like you, I think it's, it's important to think of it as like an add on and not the centerpiece of your meal. Um, and something you shouldn't be doing all the time. Uh, but they can be a little treat from time to time and they can be good. Um, you know, as, as a, as a kind of cheat day kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think you should plan on a cheat day once a week. That's so here's what I think about that. Okay. <laughs> First of all, we should distinguish this between like veggie burgers that are made out of whole foods because you can you can make a whole food right. veggie burger and that is totally fine. That's great. Um, but the ones that are you know processed either soy protein or pea protein, uh, I don't know, or even things that are just pure wheat gluten. You know, I don't, it's not that good. So um, I don't want to come off saying like you should never have these things. A vegan diet should be whole foods and nothing but whole foods, and you know that's final and if you don't do that you're not doing it right um because i do think these things can serve the role of making you feel okay about the way you're eating in terms of like you know if if when you go vegan you suddenly really really miss eating sausage for some reason and you just 
you know, it's just this hole in your heart now that is there because you don't have sausage anymore, then I think filling that hole with, with whatever, field roast sausage, uh, it's probably going to be a net good for you, right? It will, it will, you will be happier about the way you're eating, and you'll probably be able to sustain this diet much, much longer, and maybe get to the point one day when you don't eat that as much because you, you're used to eating this way, and you know you realize it's 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 not that good anyway. So I don't know. I think I think they definitely can play a the role of like a psychological crutch, and you know even if it's a once a week thing, if if that is a feel good family time for you, then. It's a whole lot better than a lot of other feel-good family foods you could be eating. So, you know, I don't think it's bad. I just I just wouldn't plan on it. The way Keith asked this question, healthy enough to be incorporated into my diet, it almost sounds like a planning. And, like, I, if someone was making a meal plan, I wouldn't want you to say, well, Friday night is our vegan meat night when we're always doing that. I don't know. If you're going to take the time to plan, at least plan for healthy food and then just make this sort of the, the cheats that whatever. You don't have time to cook or you're at a at a – baseball game or whatever and like that's the time to eat that stuff i think yeah i think that's that is accurate and a good representation of the way i approach these these meats but uh i do have a question about you know this is not this kind of expanding on keith's question here um what role do you think they play in the transitional period do you think they should play a role in the transitional period yeah i think i think they totally do and they can help you i think it depends on your motivation like some people do come to this diet from not not just the long-term health perspective like i should do this because it's better for my health but some people get really into the kind of the energy side of it right like they get really into the smoothies and the juices and the raw so if if you're motivated by that then i don't think there's any reason to use this stuff as a transitional food but if you're kind of hesitant to eat this way uh or you're just kind of wary about it and you know you've got a lot of concerns, right? You're worried about the social aspect of it. You're worried about fears that you can never eat your favorite foods again. I think those things can be great for that because they can help you to start eating this way. And, you know, they might help you go the first three or six months because you're twice or three times a week eating these foods just exactly in place of the the animal-based version of it that you used to eat in your diet. Um I think it's great. I think, I mean, I think that might help someone get started when they otherwise wouldn't have been able to. So to, you know, that's almost like a small steps kind of argument that, that rather than say, I'm going to go whole food plant-based from the beginning, you could go vegan with some of this vegan junk food in there. And then over time, as you get used to that, as you get used to the social thing, then start removing those, those non whole foods from your diet. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think that I, I agree hundred percent. I Definitely. mean, they played, They've definitely played a role in my transition from uh, meat eater to vegetarian and, uh, you know, definitely less so in vegetarian to vegan because it didn't really matter. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was for me, it was partially just like I didn't know what to eat. And this was an easy way to kind of keep eating what I was eating, you know, the meals that I was used to um, while inter- while removing the meat from that. And, um, and then, you know, once I started making pasta with, I don't know, some sort of veggie ground beef or something like that, then I realized, oh, I could I could add chickpeas in here instead. And, mm. um, you know, it just kind of, it was a good way for me to kind of slowly kind of migrate towards more whole foods. But um, it took away a lot of the stress and pressure around knowing what to, what kind of meals to cook. Yep, I think that's true. I think it definitely 
greases the wheels as far as uh, like social interactions and things go. You mentioned this camping trip a long time ago you went on. And, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. if you know, if not for veggie burgers and veggie dogs there, then you're kind of the guy eating the really weird food. And for some people, that just wouldn't be comfortable, wouldn't be doable. So uh, they're helpful in that way. And nowadays, not so much when even when I started being vegetarian or vegan. Uh, just recently, it just seems like so many restaurants now have a, a vegan sausage on their menu uh, or mm-hmm. a veggie burger or something. And so, like, I don't know. I think it's great for that. You go out and, and you can eat, you know, a nice, delicious meal that, that is sort of like what everyone else is ordering and you don't feel different. And I think I think it's great for that. Yeah. Agreed. So, not totally anti these fake meats. I don't mean to be that way. I just think, I just really don't like when people confuse them with healthy food. Yes. And and the marketing of the companies that that's part of it. That's the problem. Is they're they're trying to convince people that it is mm-hmm. healthy. Right. Okay. Yeah. I w- I would agree with you. 100%. Good. All right. So this one is from uh Lara and she says I'm loving all your emails and information. This Christmas my mom gave me a book about vegan and food combining and I would love to hear your opinion about it. I thought we should always have carbs, protein and fat in every meal, but reading about food combining I found that we should not mix carbs and protein together because of the difference in pH of our stomach to digest these two different types. Um, good. So this is a really good question, and I don't have a definitive answer to this. I don't know that really anyone does. Um, so first of all, Laura's preconception was we should always have carbs, protein, and fat in every meal. I don't think that's true either. I think it it you know you don't really need to do that. I think having fat in most of your meals is kind of a good thing having a small amount of fat it helps with digestibility or not just but absorption of nutrients um, so a little bit of fat is a good idea for example if you're going to eat a salad usually it is better to have some nuts with that salad either in the form of dressing or just on the side uh, than just eating leaves and vegetables raw some people would argue for sure uh, especially the fruitarian community who i do have some respect for in some ways um <laughs> No, I do. I think I think they have some interesting ideas that that are no, I was just non-traditional. I was, I was laughing because it didn't sound very convincing there. <laughs> no, I really do. I, I have a lot of interest in, in that, and I think I it's know neat. Yeah. And uh, anyway, um, but so I, I do think some fat is is good with to help you just absorb vitamins and minerals. Um, but I don't think you need to go out of your way to have carbs, protein, and fat in every meal. I think that's that's sort of only a, a next step beyond the like you know we need the square meal idea. Um, that's just sort of saying the same thing, but now breaking it down into into nutrient names instead of food names or food groups. So I don't think it's that important um, to have those things. You know, with the complete protein idea that we need to have complete proteins in our meals, uh, that doesn't matter either. The body pools them, and you can eat, eat, eat all the different amino acids that you need, the essential amino acids. You can get them over a day or several days, and your body just takes what it needs, and, and you're good. No need to combine that stuff. The question, though, that Laura is asking is, should we avoid mixing carbs and protein together? And I know there's a, a group that thinks this. Um, who are they, Doug? The, the pH miracle people, I think. Dr. Dr. Robert Young, I think is his name, who has a bit of a, a, a checkered uh, record in terms of lawsuits and things like that. So uh, I, I don't know if that's the book that Laura got, but it could be. Uh, the whole pH thing, the acid-alkaline thing, you know, there's something to it. It, it is very pseudoscientific. There's not a whole lot of research behind it uh, or evidence for it, I should say. Uh, but there is some stuff. Like I, I've even heard Dr. Furman, who I think of a, as a pretty evidence-based doctor, I've heard him talk about if you eat a highly acidic diet, which 
the acidic foods tend to be animal products, but you know you can process foods, refined sugar, refined flour. Those are acid forming, so to speak, in the body. And if your body is in too acidic an environment all the time, then in order to balance the pH, what it will need to do is leach cal- calcium and minerals from bones. And this is thought to be why, if you look at like the osteoporosis charts, um, the countries that consume the most dairy products actually have the most osteoporosis, which is not what the milk people would be would be wanting you to believe, right? You, they would tell you the opposite, that milk makes mm-hmm. strong bones. So, you know, that seems to be scientific. And I will say that because I do trust Dr. Furman. Um, so there's that. But then, but then once you're talking about inside the stomach and the different pHs that are required to digest different things, I, you know, I just don't know. I have not seen any science. To me, that seems kind of like speculation and a nice story that, uh, as far as I know, hasn't held up to any real scientific scrutiny. Uh, I'm sure someone will send me an article that makes it appear that it does, but, you know, it's not, it's not just one study that it takes to prove things. I mean, you really need to demonstrate something over and over and have it be repeatable. And I just haven't seen that stuff with the, with the whole pH stuff. So I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go overboard with that kind of idea or not. Now, Speaking of the uh, fruitarians, they do the th- like the mono meal thing where they'll say, I'm going to eat only apples for this meal or only watermelon or only oranges. And they think that having just one food instead of three foods, not talking about carbs and protein, fat here, but just food, right? What, what exactly is in that food versus exactly what's in another food. They think that the fewer of those you can have at once, the better. So you can quote unquote do mono for a month where you only eat one food at a time. Um, you don't eat the same food all month. You change it. But the the meals you are eating within that meal, it's just one food. Uh, so anyway, their idea there is that, that you'll digest and have way more energy. Who knows if that's true? I know when I did the fruitarian thing for a month or so, my energy was through the roof and I felt really good. Uh, I think there are some real problems with the diet as far as long-term health goes, specifically not enough fat. But, you know, short-term, it's hard to argue with how I felt. So who knows? Who knows what... Uh, if there's anything to the mono meal idea or not, but anyway, did you do the mono meal when you're doing fruit? No, I only did it at the Woodstock Fruit Festival. Oh, at the festival. And and I might happen to like I I discovered that if I just took half a watermelon and a spoon, that that could be lunch, and I could just eat that. And I didn't. So like when I got home from it, it wasn't that I was saying, "Hey, I'm going to do a mono meal." It was just I'm going to eat this for lunch, eat this watermelon for lunch. And it turned out that I was doing that, but it wasn't really on purpose. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So there you go. Um, yeah, I hope I hope that's fair. I'm, I'm interested in that kind of thinking. I just don't think that particular one really holds up. Any thoughts yeah. there, Doug? You and the mono meals? I got nothing. No? No mono uh, breakfast links or anything? I like how we <laughs> paint this picture of you as like the guy who only eats uh, breakfast links and corn chips. Whatever <laughs> 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 Yeah, I you know I kind of wonder what people really think about me, like what the picture they have of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, they, just sitting there thinking about bud coats all the time, and, right? Just and, hugging uh, trees, playing disc golf, trees. growing beards, <laughs> <laughs> thinking about the environment. Yep. Yeah, I mean you know it's not too far from the truth. No, it's not. <laughs> well, before we get into the next question, I think we should uh, we should take a little break. Okay. To thank our sponsors. Let's do that. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Thrive Market, a revolutionary online marketplace with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, 
always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. At Thrive Market, you can get everything you need, non-GMO foods, snacks, vitamins, supplements, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, kitchen staples, and much, much more, and it's all shipped straight to your door. And since everything is automatically discounted to up to 50% off on each product page, you can compare the price to retail and see your savings right there. Matt, the more I have tried Thrive Market, the more I have found myself branching out to different brands and even different products that I had never tried before. After locking in a few of my staples, I just kind of sort by vegan and a category like, I don't know, grains or something like that, and then just start scrolling. Products pop up that I have probably never even noticed in a traditional grocery store. I just walk right past or maybe skip that aisle entirely, which makes it easy to explore and try something, something new and kind of different, exciting. Plus, many of the brands truly are unique. More than 70% of the Thrive Market catalog cannot be found on sites like Amazon. When you check out Thrive Market and shop there like Doug and I have, you'll get an additional 25% off your first order plus a 30-day free trial by visiting thrivemarket.com slash athlete. That's thrivemarket.com slash athlete. All right, Doug, we've got two more questions here, and then a little birdie told me that you have a very special question to wrap everything up. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get through these two, and then we'll get to your question. Uh, okay. All right, this one is from Robin, and she says, Hey, Matt, quick question for you. I switched to a plant-based diet two weeks ago. I've been using beans, lentils, black, etc., as a protein source, but they are still wreaking havoc on my gut. I'm not a runner, but I'm athletic and recently completed, competed in my first bodybuilding competition, bikini. Uh, should I just give up on the beans? Uh, I hate feeling so bloated and gassy. Okay, good question. Um, and congrats on going vegan. Yeah, really, congrats. And and doing the bodybuilding thing while you're doing that. That's, that's yeah. cool. We need more people doing that. I think that mm-hmm. helps to dispel some of the myths. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I know it's so easy to like to think we need to have a protein source, but, and, and it's fine. Like when you're, when you're new, I think that is helpful. Kind of the same thing with the vegan meats, right? It just, it's just helpful to think of things that way still, because if you don't, you start to freak out and get terrified. Um, I don't think that having a protein source is that important. It's in everything. So just eat lots of whole foods and you're going to get it. But if you're into bodybuilding, that's maybe different. Body, bodybuilder might want a protein source, quote unquote, because they may have decided that protein is important for their athletic goals. And it might be. I don't really know that much about bodybuilding at all. Um, but some vegan bodybuilders do believe that that more protein than you can get from, from even whole foods is important. So who knows? Um, so the only quick answer I have here, Robin, is that it takes a while to for your body to adjust to eating this way. It's another good reason to go with the easier way in approach. Uh, I know not, it's not for everybody because some people do just want to go vegan overnight. Uh, what worked well for me about easing my way in was that it wasn't a drastic change to my diet. It was just sort of these stages and I never really dealt with that type of feeling you're describing. But I know like you know, the, the fiber content goes way up often when people switch overnight to a plant-based diet and that sort of thing. It might not even be the beans that are doing it. It could just be you're eating a lot more fiber now, which is a good thing. Uh, but your body takes, it takes some getting used to on the part of your body. So I would say just stick with it. Um, if you want to like reduce the beans in the early days, again, like, I don't know how obsessively you're eating beans to try to get a protein source in there, but you could probably reduce that and then just worry about, you know, look at your protein numbers later if that's important for sports. Um, so that's really it. I think you just need to give it time. I don't think giving up on beans is the answer. They're really, really healthy, uh, for many more reasons than just that they're a good protein source. Uh, so that's, that's what I think. Doug, anything, anything to add? Beans, they, they get a bad rap, you know? They do. Every, everybody's hating on the beans. 
Yeah, they really are. I wish I wish they weren't. Beans are a very, very healthy long-term food. Uh, people, you can do, like, people, some argue that soaking the beans helps with lentils and things like that, that it will get, uh, I guess, that the phytates out that will, that will help you to absorb things better and eliminate gas, but who knows if that's true or not. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Next question. Last question Anne. before Doug's. All right. Uh, Ann says, Matt, what about vegan foods for endurance? At- Why does everyone say Matt? They know it's me and you, right, Doug? Yeah, I know. It's just, uh, you know, when, when you were reading Robin's uh, question, I had the exact same thought. And then, I, and then I look up and the one above it that we skipped over is Matt and Doug. So. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate I appreciate the uh, inclusion here. <laughs> I think some of them are just, they're they're finding blog posts that I wrote, you know, eight years ago and assuming that I just wrote the site. Not These are not all podcast questions. I hope more of them are podcast questions these days than other. But anyway, um Okay, so Ann says, what about vegan foods for endurance athletes and long races, Ironman or ultramarathon? Some suggestions on what works best, because I see people eating so much junk from their special needs bags. It's something that really turned me off from longer races. If I have to drink Coke and eat Oreos to do an Ironman, I can't do it. All right. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one then, Ann, because I think (laughs) Coke and Oreos are one of the best parts of doing an ultramarathon. I don't know. I mean, more that's actually not that far from what i think um i think that race day is way different from training because race day happens very infrequently if you're talking about ultra marathons it probably happens two or three times a year at most and i think you can just eat whatever you want we mentioned mike we mentioned fruitarians a few minutes ago michael arnstein is a good example of this concept he's you know he eats as clean a diet as you can eat raw fruits and vegetables not even many nuts and seeds uh but on race day, he'll he'll start downing gels because he found that dates didn't work as well. The fiber accumulated in his gut, and and that was not good. So he he now takes gels on race day, uh, or this was what a couple years ago. But he he took gels on race day then, and it worked for him. And so I think he wouldn't want to do that on all his training runs because that that would be a lot of gel you're eating over the course of a year. Uh, but on race day, if if the whole point is perform on race day, then I don't think you know, eating that stuff is going to hurt you. Just like you don't need a lot of salt during your, during your normal life. But on race day, I don't know, you might, you might eat 10,000 milligrams of salt. Uh, so there's just, I don't know. I think race day is different. And I think, I think for most people, it makes sense to throw the nutrition goals out the window because race day is so infrequent, uh, and do what helps you. But anyway, um, you know, Doug, we have this philosophy. Why don't you talk about this? We talk about the, the junk food philosophy, in terms of staying on the course versus what's optimal for fueling your race for trying to win, um, I've been talking a lot. So why don't you, why don't you address that one? Address what you just talked about? No, address the the difference between you know eating what it takes to win a race, like Michael Lawrence is doing, versus mm. people like me, maybe you to a lesser extent, uh, eating eating more junk food out there because it's kind of just what keeps you going and happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- you know, with, with any of these endurance races, whether it's an ultra or an Ironman, you know, a lot of what you're doing, yeah, part of what you're doing, of course, is fueling for energy and fueling for, yeah, energy. Um, but the other part of it is just kind of fueling for comfort, right? Because if you're out there for, you know, if it takes 12 or 14 hours to run a, an, an Ironman and, you know, 10 hours to run a 50 miler, um, 
you're out. I mean, that is a long time to be moving and a long time to be without a standard meal, right? So part of what you're doing is just keeping your your stomach comfortable and keeping yourself kind of in a place where you're not starving or you're not kind of craving all these things. So um, what approach, and this is, I think, a pretty good approach for most people is to just eat what, what feels good at the time. So not, not really worry too much about whether you're fueling for uh, energy specific stuff, but, you know, as long as you're taking some gels or you're doing some things that are giving you some energy at a sports drink or something like that. And then the rest of the time you're just eating to what looks good, uh, at the aid station, uh, whether that's pretzels or a peanut butter jelly sandwich or potatoes or something like that, if it looks good, um, and you think it will help you make your stomach feel good, then that's probably the best choice that you can make. Um, and same goes for when you're packing things. So like during a hundred miler, a lot of times I'm eating, uh, hummus wraps with, with, um, olives and things like that. So while I'm, I'm getting salt and I'm getting, you know, some protein, some carbs from the wrap, um, it's probably not the best like fuel source, right? I have to digest it. It's going to take a while for me to actually convert to energy. Um, you know, I could be taking a gel or something else that would be, give me more immediate energy, but it feels good and it will make my stomach settle and, uh, and you know, it'll give me some fuel as well. So I think that that decision that a lot of people, um, or that, yeah, that decision, uh, so that approach that a lot of people overlook is to just eat what, what looks good and not really worry too much about, um, exactly what it is. Yes. So I agree with that. I have two things to add. One is... You mentioned like going a long time without eating or without eating a real meal, uh, just being out there long. But like, it's also a long time of being miserable, right? For, so, <laughs> not just in terms of food, but like, eventually you hit a point when it's not really that fun to be running. Maybe maybe you have some spiritual highs or whatever in there, but for the most part, you're, you hit a point of misery. And if eating Oreos kind of you know ups your fun level a little bit and makes you mm-hmm. not want to quit, then I think that's probably a good thing for the purpose you're trying to achieve that day. Um, and the other thing, I, I don't know if you quite covered, Doug. I think you kind of assumed it. But uh, that that it gets hard to eat food at all once you're right. really far into a race. So that whole, like, what looks good approach, that's part of it. It's like, at least I'll be eating something if I eat this. Because you do need to keep eating. That's part of the sport of ultra endurance events is you need to find a way to keep eating and mm. people who are good at it are people who can keep eating. So if the way to do that is completely throw out the plan of what you were hoping to be eating because it's healthy and will help you with this race and go to the thing that gives you calories and maybe salt and not much else of value, but it's energy. Uh, that's, that's what people will start eating whatever they want. So, yeah, yeah. I think, um, and it, I mean, it could be, you know, a lot of places will have soup and broth and, ramen noodles and things like that like it could be something as simple as that right um, and that just looks good that's actually what what robin said she said what or not robin and said what are the vegan foods for endurance athletes like what are, what are good ones to eat what works best and i would say the ones that work best as far by the way oreos are vegan but i don't know we didn't we didn't really point that out here i don't know if she was and was saying that that's if i have to eat non-vegan food i'm not going to do it maybe maybe that's what she was saying um but oreos are vegan so just you know you, you can stick to vegan food but silly junk food uh, if that's your goal. Um, but the foods that I think the healthiest foods that I actually do kind of crave when I've been out there for a long time, not kind of crave, but actually look good and palatable to me are boiled potatoes dipped in salt. That one mm-hmm. seems very tasty often when not much else does. 
Um, you mentioned like hummus on a on a pita or something like that. I think I think breads to me just white bread, although not that healthy, but it's it's something. It's not it's not just pure sugar junk food. But it's not that far off either. But um, but you know bread with hummus that seems like a a fairly attractive snack far into a race for me. Um, and then fruit at my hundred, I ate a lot of watermelon because they just kept having it and it just kept seeming good to me so i ate a whole lot of that yeah and uh, i think fruit is a is a good one that's a really nice food that that isn't going to seem that great forever but it sure seems great longer than sports drink does for me mm-hmm. so um fruit and it's, you know it's a good high sugar source of yeah so it gives you energy and it's also giving you whole food energy so mm-hmm. i mean as term, in terms of eating healthy food uh you, you're eating pretty healthy food when you're eating fruit so those are my once, but you mentioned broth. I mean, not all broth is unhealthy, and or not not much of it is anyway, right? So, what else? Any other uh, relatively healthy foods that are also good for running? Let's see. Um, uh, broth, yeah. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> broth. Uh, you know, hummus, wraps. No, um, no. I don't know. No, I don't know. We've covered a lot of the ones yeah. that that i that i kind of rely on um you know but there's there's i mean pretzels are certainly not healthy or something like that but i mean there's there's things other than like oreos. other than coke and oreos yep. you know french fries um <laughs> that's a good one french fries they're really yeah. good during an ultra uh-huh you know what uh i had during an ultra this is not healthy at all but it was like the best thing boca burger field roast links <laughs> no <laughs> yeah sausage links corn chip <laughs> one of those like uh i don't even know what they're called they're like the frozen like sugar water and oh, yeah. like a frozen long thing you know that used to have the ice as a kid. like flavor ice yeah yeah flavor flavor ice yeah. or whatever yeah flavor, flavor ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that was so good yeah my it kids turned around a race for me one time they give us out at soccer camp like for scoring goals and winning competitions you <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i mean yeah, i don't know good. just but like fruit, um, uh, I you know for a while I used to like roast thin slices of uh, sweet potato, oh yeah, and kind of bag that up, salt it, and bag that up, and mm-hmm. I would take that with me in long runs, um, and that was like a really nice snack to have on a long run. Um, I quit doing it because it was more work than I wanted to put into every long run, but um, you know things like that, you know, just take take easily stored storable things that you can throw in your drop bag or with your crew or mm-hmm. in your pack to carry along with you i mean just whatever you know whatever's gonna feel good yeah and by the way this that we're giving advice here this is kind of for ultra endurance events this does not really apply to a marathon or short right uh, definitely not these foods yeah. are just these whole food sort of things i mean they're just not gonna help you that much maybe fruit would be fine but like pita with hummus it's just that nutrition is not going to have time to get into your body during a, a four-hour marathon so that's where you're sticking to gels and sugars and fruit and sports drink maybe but uh this this more like real food idea is more for longer things mm-hmm. all right good we've made it through all but the most important question doug yeah you know i was this my <laughs> this is my question and I, i've been thinking a lot about it because i just i remember seeing something about or hearing you talk a little bit about how you were going to turn compliment the <laughs> The supplement that I use, which is a spray, it has DHA, EPA, vitamin D3, and um, B12 in it. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, I use it on a daily basis. I, I spray with it. And, and I heard this like rumor that you were going to turn it into a pill. And I, I wanted to hear more about that. And if there was anything else you were adding to that. Well, I'm very glad you asked that question, Doug. Because that's exactly <laughs> what I was hoping to talk about today. Uh, the timing is impeccable, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yes. Um, this is, of course, an ad, right? We're not, we're not trying to pretend this is a question. But we figured that's how we'd segue into it. Um, <laughs> so, that, so we just did launch what we call Compliment Plus. People have liked the spray for a long time. I know the flavor was not as great as it should have been. It started out that way, and then I think it kind of, it just sort of got fishy tasting uh, because of the algae oil that is used for the DHA and EPA. Uh, we put out a new flavor in the summer that is a hundred times better, in my opinion. Uh, and agreed. Yeah, it drastically, I mean, I, it pretty much eliminates that thing, and it's it just it's just been great. So. That flavor problem has been solved, but some people want the pill form anyway, the capsule form. And I know capsules are not always vegan, but this one is. Uh, so we put out a new one. It's called Compliment Plus. It uh, is a capsule that is vegan, of course. Contains the big three: B12, D3, and DHA EPA. Um, but also contains a few more things. Those the B12, D3, and DHA EPA. They're kind of, I wouldn't say universally agreed upon as plant-based people need them, but they're the ones that seem to be coming into vogue these days, and a lot of people are starting to admit that, yes, we do need to get these things. B12 is one that's kind of a no-brainer. I think everyone everyone who's vegan should take a B12 supplement in some form or another. Um, D3, sunshine vitamin, a lot of people are deficient in in D besides vegans, um, but, but perhaps vegans especially. Uh, D3 is a very great form. And DHA and EPA, people know them as the omega-3s, uh, and a lot of people who I'll, I'll tell them, well, we have the supplement that gives you these omega threes. They'll say, oh, I get that already. I, ha- I get lots of, uh, walnuts and flaxseeds. I make sure to eat those for the omega threes. And that's such a huge common fallacy among plant-based people and other people. Um, they think, they think that all omega threes are the same, but it turns out that flaxseeds and walnuts only give you ALA, uh, which some people can convert into DHA and EPA, but many people cannot. So it's important if you, unless you know otherwise from a blood test, uh, it is important to get DHA and EPA in my opinion. So that's what the original complement provides in the spray form. But um, th- with this new one, the capsule, so first of all, the capsule allowed us to put other things into it like minerals because we couldn't get minerals into a spray bottle, it just didn't, wouldn't work. Um, but even at one non-mineral, K2, vitamin K2, uh, a lot of people, Dr. Furman now recommends K2 to most people who eat plant-based diets. You can get K1 from leafy greens and stuff like that, but K2 is only available as far as plant-based foods go in this Japanese fermented soy product called natto, which I don't believe not too many people eat it. Um, see, what I, see what I did there, Doug? Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, but anyway, KJ is a good example, because like, although we, we couldn't have put some of these minerals, zinc, iodine, selenium, and magnesium, we could not put those in the original complement. K2 we could have, but we chose not to, because that one we really wanted to be just the, the minimal thing. We wanted that to be like, for people who are kind of opposed to supplements, but recognize that there's this need, um, that's that's what the original complement is. The new one has this extra stuff in it. I mentioned that. K2, zinc, iodine, selenium, magnesium. These are important things. I've thought about these for a long time. I've recommended these for a long time. Um, zinc's one of those things. It's in beans, but the phytates will typically block absorption of it or make it not bioavailable. And zinc's really, really important for heart health. So that's one that has been a little bit of a concern for me. Iodine, uh, if you're not vegan, if you're just vegetarian, you actually get it from... Uh, these cleaning agents that they use for like dairy products. Um, so, you know, that's iodine. It's also, it's, it's important, right? We, it's not like it's a bad thing to get it from the cleaning agents. It's actually essential. Um, 
and that's why it's added to salt, right? Iodized salt. But a lot of vegans like to be more natural, and they don't do iodized salt. They just get sea salt. But you actually do need iodine, and unfortunately, soil these days is much depleted. Um, so iodine, you know, you need a source of iodine. If it's not going to be iodized salt, then get it from a supplement. Selenium is in Brazil nuts, but not that many people eat Brazil nuts. I actually have been eating a Brazil nut one a day um, as my selenium source, but thanks to Compliment Plus, I'm not going to need to do that anymore. And magnesium actually is just really there mainly to increase the efficiency of the iodine that's in the product. So anyway, that's my, uh, that's my sales pitch for Compliment Plus. It's a capsule, vegan capsule, uh, that really handles all the vegan supplementation needs. So uh, if you were interested in, in getting that, it's in pre-order right now. We actually did a little No Meat Athlete launch last week, but kind of neglected to mention it on the podcast. So what we did is brought back the No Meat Athlete audience pricing, uh, which is like a dollar a day, which I think is very reasonable. And that's that's at the most. If you actually subscribe to it, you can get it for much cheaper than that and uh, and lock in that price for as long as you stay a subscriber to it, which I think is a great deal for, for handling vegan supplementation. Uh, so go to nomadathlete.com slash plus sometime between now and I guess Doug will put out a final reminder of this next podcast, which will be, should have had a calendar in front of me for this. That would be uh, the 6th, September 6th, think September 6th. 2008. Okay. And that's Thursday, right? Yep. Okay. So then we'll say that Sunday, 7, 8. Nine. Nine. Yeah. So we'll say get it by the end of the day on the 9th. That will be how long that thing will be available. Through September 9th, uh, nomadathlete.com slash plus will take you to, back to that Athlete audience pricing on Compliment Plus uh, if you want to pre-order it and lock in a subscription and whatever else. So there you go. Doug, any any uh, any major concerns or objections to Compliment Plus? No, I mean, it sounds it sounds like something that I would be interested in. Is this the kind of thing that you will take or will you stick with the more minimal? Version? I will take this one. I'm not sure that my kids... Will, um, I hope they will take this pill. Uh, that's my concern. Com- compliment as a spray is great for kids because you can put it in juice or on a, mm-hmm. in a smoothie or on a salad or just right in their mouth. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing my son is old enough that he will swallow pills now, but I'm not positive. Um, so I hope they will take this because I just, I don't know. Like, I love that we have compliment, but I still in the back of my mind, I'm always like, eh, I just, I want to make sure they are getting zinc and iodine. So I'll put, I'll put the uh, Brazil nut in the smoothie and they can get it that way. So they can get selenium handled, but K2, zinc, iodine, I don't know. I just want them to, to get them. I mean, it's sort of a philosophical thing. Like Some people just don't want to take supplements, and, and that's that's why, you know, take something minimal. But this one, um, I don't know. I tend to be, I try to separate myself from that philosophical thing and just more be science-based. And the, the evidence-based, science-based vegan doctors who I follow tend to recommend these additional things. So that's what I will be doing. Any reason... I mean, you know, why not Why not take a full supplement, multivitamin? Yeah, I mean, you could do that if you wanted. And I think that's probably better than taking nothing. I mean, certainly, if, if you're not going to take B12, uh, then then that's better than taking nothing. Is it better than just taking B12? I don't really know. Um, but the, the reason that we did the whole complement thing, the reason we were making these products uh, is because eating plant-based diets, we're in a weird situation where we are getting a great amount of all these different vitamins and minerals, um, and many things that aren't even classified as those things that just, just phytonutrients that, that aren't really understood yet or aren't, aren't named with popular names like that. Um, we're getting tons of those. That That's what's so great about our diet, but yet we're completely deficient in B12 and then these other things in, in varying levels of, you know, I don't want to say completely deficient, but we're, we're more deficient in a few things. So it's weird that we get so much of so many things and almost none of a few others. So, um, 
that's the reason. Like, why why take a multivitamin if you're already getting all that stuff from your food? I know as a, as a whole, we tend not to want, we, we tend to prefer whole food nutrition to supplementing. Uh, so this just sort of fills in the gaps, the necessary gaps without extra stuff. Yeah. So there you go. I dig it. Yes. All right. Nomadathlete.com slash plus. Yes. To learn more. Exactly. So thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to all our Q&As, including, including Doug's question at the end there. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Anything else, Doug, before we sign off? This has been kind of a long episode. It has been kind of long. No. it's a, We're going into a holiday weekend here in the States. Oh, yeah. Labor uh, Day. Break out the, the uh, field roast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Good. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, everyone.